0: The, like, COVID wave in New York was just, like, going so hard. And I have a I have a daughter who's, like, a year and a half old. Um, So we just decided to stay here, you know, instead of go back, you know, because, like, her daycare kept closing. And I was like, if I go back, I'm not going to be able to work on music because I'm just going to be stuck at home all day. So I might as well just stay down here and be with family.
1: Are you not able to work on music from your apartment?
0: At my house, yeah. I have, like, a whole studio set up there, actually. But I would just be, like you know, on daddy duty all day. So (laughs) it would be hard for me to find time. It's more about having family around to watch her when you need to work. Right. Yeah. I have, I have like, you know, my parents are here helping out, which is a huge plus.
1: I'm in Queens and I've haven't really left my, really left New York city since it started. Right. Yeah. I know like me personally and probably a lot of other people have been wondering what's keeping them in New York during this and whether it makes sense to continue to live in a place like this and pay, you know, New York rents to, to not ever leave my apartment.
0: I kind of like that feeling though, you know, like even though there's this isolation, you know, if you're locked in or whatever in you know, because of COVID and New York, it's like, there's still shit happening, you know, like there's still activity. There's still other people. I feel like if you go somewhere else like it just feel it can feel almost even more isolating you know there's at least this feeling where you can look out your window and like you know it's like oh we're all in this thing together
1: and it's got to be doubly difficult with a kid too uh, you know i know the kid's obviously pretty young but he needs yeah, space. i
0: know <laughs> yeah we haven't really been able to do much the first thing i did um With her, you know, as soon as we got the vaccine was... uh, All I wanted to do was take her to MoMA, and we went and looked at everything. And it was pretty amazing seeing her, like, actually look at the art and sort of process it and and have these different reactions to everything. I was, like, so curious to see how that would go.
1: How was that? I mean, like, I I feel like I didn't really even start appreciating art until, like, after college, all alone being, you know, one or two years old.
0: Yeah, I think... You know, I am lucky enough that, like my parents, you know, they're 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 musicians and they have like a lot of friends in the art world, painters and et cetera. And they used to take me to galleries a lot when I was a kid, and that's kind of how I got my first exposure to art. And um, and it was always something that was just kind of there for me. So I I just want to be able to do the same thing with my daughter and kind of give her that, and I want to expose her to enough different types of art and music that she never thinks she'll never see anything and be like oh like that's weird you know it's it's just she'll understand that yeah there are different ways for people to express themselves through art.
1: I mean I see you're wearing a throbbing gristle shirt right now <laughs> <laughs> at what point do you uh, in- introduce the kid to industrial music
0: oh I've already been playing it for her yeah I play her, I play her everything I, I um she loves music the second it starts playing she just starts moving and I think she doesn't really care what genre it is right now you know it's like if there's as long as it's got a beat she seems pretty interested
1: what were her interactions with the art like
0: it's kind of hard to say you know because it's so hard for me to know what's actually going on in her mind but um she definitely seemed to be really interested in it you know it wasn't like she was paying attention to like the the corner of the ceiling or or she was, uh, you know, distracted or anything, you know, we would walk in front of a piece and she would stare at it for a while and, and have like a real, I don't know, a, some some sort of moment, whatever that may be for, you know, uh, a baby slash toddler.
1: I was there in October and I, the, the Alexander Calder um, exhibit was happening. I don't uh, know if he yeah. was there while well, you were there, but, you know, he makes those big kinetic wire sculptures, which seems like something a kid can really wrap their brain around to some degree
0: yeah that would have been perfect i think i went a little before that yeah that would have been
1: good it's a super abstract question uh, and it's and it is a hard thing to to contextualize but like it's, it's just sort of like it's a collection of bright colors. It's it's that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And she obviously likes the video art. I mean, she's she's that kind of stuff is just anything involving video because we try not to give her too much screen time, but she's been obsessed with the Muppets phenomena recently and is uh, requesting that I keep it on a 24-7 loop.
1: <laughs> Every single parent I talk to, like uh, 201, tells me that any sort of like screen time enforcement they were trying to do before the pandemic has just completely gone out the window.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's just, uh, <laughs> it's the most helpful option.
1: <laughs> How long are you down there for?
0: Uh, indefinitely. I canceled my flight home, so I'm just down here. But luckily, my dad has, uh, has a studio down here, so he's been just like begging me to use all of his gear. He's so proud of all this stuff that he's, that he has. And um, yeah, he, he has more stuff than me. I actually don't even know how to use 90% of it. So.
1: Well, he's, I mean, he's got space and, and he's probably been doing this for a bit longer than you have.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I think you said your parents were musical before, but are they musicians as well?
0: Yeah, they're musicians. They're, they're not like, uh, you know, musicians by profession. Um, you know, it's just, been like a lifelong passion for them my dad actually purposefully never sought out any type of career in music because he thought that if he kind of uh tied in money with art then it would ruin it for him
1: i mean he's probably right to a certain degree
0: yeah it can definitely make it feel weird i mean i've never experienced any type of writer's block in my life until i put out my first record and then there was almost this pressure of there has to be something to follow this up with you know whereas like at that point it was it was like everything I made was just something I was making for myself there's almost this like uh people people uh kind of have a sense of ownership I guess once you put it out there it kind of belongs to everybody and you know which I think is great and beautiful but there's also these expectations that kind of become unnatural when it comes to when you're thinking about just self-expression
1: the big cliche is what is it you have your a lifetime to work on the first album and 18 months to work on the second but like even beyond that you end up tying yourself to a sound you know to, to a genre to some degree like once you've actually put that product out in the world and once there are expectations around what you do right
0: yeah and it's weird because i've never i never really thought too much about genre um I mean, you know, I did when I was young, it would be like I'm playing metal or I'm playing punk or whatever it is. And then, you know, for a long time, I was just making music and there was no thought about the genre. You know, it's just this is something that feels nice for me to make. And, you know, when I started the Beach Fossils project, it was there was a focus on a type of sound that I was trying to get and I was trying to make it this thing that kind of worked all the way through for the first record. And, um, you know, since then I've, I've been experimenting more and more. And, uh, I think some of the songs, you know, that came out on Somersault weren't even intended to be Beach Fossil songs. It was like, I just want to experiment with a different sound, just me and, and the music, you know, I liked it enough that I was like, okay, well, I'll, let's just put this on the record.
1: You use the word project versus bands, at least to describe the first record. Yeah. Is it still a project? Did it become a band at a certain point?
0: It's kind of both. Um, You know, I have, you know, my, uh, my bandmates, Tommy and Jack, who, you know, are in the live band and then became part of the writing process because of that. Um, But for me, it's something that still is, it's kind of always, uh, fluid you know i I don't really have a way to define it like i can write songs by myself or i could write a song by myself with someone who's not in the band and i feel like it's all still uh, at the end of the day it could be released as beach fossils
1: was there a period then i mean did things actually sort of dry up because of those expectations or were you just kind of were you vetting a lot more were you throwing things out more than you would have previously
0: I think like when I started recording Clash the Truth, I, I had a lot of writer's block and in a way that I'd never experienced before. And it was really hard for me to work. And so it kind of took me a while to figure out what I was doing with that record. And once I put it out, I think I felt a lot more open to collaborating on, um, the next record which you know became somersault and that's around you know when clash of truth came out is when jack and tommy joined the band and we just started uh just going to the studio and just working on stuff or jamming things not really thinking about the band but just you know just messing around and and creating and before you know it there was just so much material that we had come up with that it it kind of became the album but it wasn't really like something we thought about ahead of time it just kind of worked out
1: has that completely upended the way you write songs now for i mean are are you still fairly insular in in the initial stages
0: yeah it's kind of hard to say you know like i i've written a lot of stuff with them for the next record but i've also written a lot of stuff by myself i think also just because this past year and a half i've i've not really had people over at my house or i haven't really been like collaborating that much in general so i just kind of Fell back into uh, you know it's me I'm here I might as well work on something
1: day to day. How productive are you when it comes to making music? It
0: really depends. I think is I don't know. I mean sometimes I'll go. You know, usually when I'm in when I'm in New York and you know pre COVID and pre dad life, I would work on music every single day. And sometimes I would come up with three songs, or sometimes I wouldn't come up with anything. But I would just be kind of sketching ideas and um it's uh it's been harder for me to find the time to write through this past year and a half just because i've had to be uh i've had to be so uh just focused on like other things but i've been slowly getting back into writing and um and now it's like whenever i do sit down and i have the time to write I I like finish a whole song in one sitting, just because I've been so antsy to to let it out. You know, I've been just like, dying to work on music, so I finally get the chance, and and I just like lose myself in it.
1: Is it that thing of never being able to really properly turn it off?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm always thinking about music. Everything always kind of like filters through my brain as a song in some way or another you know Uh, no matter what it is it's like if i'm taking a walk in the park or i'm having a conversation or whatever it is everything is always kind of filtering through as like some sort of inspiration in some way you know And and i think when i get sit down to write it's like the more experiences or thoughts or conversations or whatever it is that i have the more things i have to pull from you know after a while it's just all been simmering in there and it's just ready to it's ready to be turned into a song.
1: I have a lot of cartoonists on the show, and I remember speaking to a cartoonist years ago, and, and she was doing autobiographical strips at the time, maybe daily, pretty, pretty often. And, you know, obviously when you're in that kind of cadence, you know, you really need to be thinking about everything as potential comic. And she told me she got to the point where she was starting to think of her interactions in terms of three panels you know it could be useful but it also sounds like it can be kind of maddening at the same time to contextualize everything in the form of a song right
0: yeah oh man i think the three panel thing that seems like a really interesting way to think about it um (laughs) but yeah for songs yeah it can be kind of difficult you know because i keep i keep Sort of like a loose journal, and um, you know, where I just kind of write down thought, thoughts, observations, or things that are upsetting me, or whatever it may be. And, and I also just kind of keep prose in there as well. And usually, my lyrics come from that. You know, once I usually write an instrumental first, and then once it's time for the lyrics, I'll just kind of go through all that and I'll process it. And it's it's so difficult because so many times you can write something that's so pure and honest and really meaningful to you. But then once it becomes something that you have to like melt down to work in a song, it can almost cheapen it. You know, like I, I have, I have certain things that I've written just free form off the top of my head that I think are, you know, some of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. And then once you try to like, there's music and you're trying to uh, condense those words down so it's not too clunky or lengthy and, and trying to make it rhyme, um, you can have this thing where you've put this beautiful experience that you had and then it just sounds like uh, so fucking corny, you know? <laughs> and I think a lot of songwriting is trying to like go from making something corny to making something sort of work in a way that's still meaningful
1: probably a reason why a lot of these people end up just going full spoken word or uh, like or like why everybody from like jewel to leonard cohen has released a poetry book at some point to just be like let me see what this is like without the filter of having to fit everything into into music
0: yeah absolutely i mean it can kind of be more pure that way or you could kind of take it the other way i guess and you could just be like uh you know purposefully sort of comedic about tender moments, which, you know, works for some people. I'm not sure I could really pull it off, but, you know, something like uh, Jonathan Richman or or Jens Lechman or someone like that who can kind of point out, like, comedy and tragedy in in one quick, uh, witty sentence. I don't think I have... uh, I'm not really, like, a storyteller, though, you know, so it doesn't really kind of work as well on my end.
1: What's the distinction?
0: I don't know. I think, like... Some people tell linear stories in their songs, you know?
1: Like something like when you finish a song, you can be like, hey, this is what point A to point B.
0: Right, like, yeah, this is what this means. I'm telling a story. Uh, I'm a different person at the end of the song than I was at the beginning. I love songs like that. I mean, I, I think songs like that are some of the most meaningful songs I've ever heard in my life, but I don't really write that way. I think it comes down to that's also not really this kind of stuff that i read you know i i've had like severe uh adhd and like problems reading my whole life you know i didn't read my first book until i was like 19 and then i started getting obsessed because i discovered poetry and i was like oh this is something i can read you know you can open it you can you know it's broken up for you in an easy way to read it it's very song-like uh already and so uh I think I I, I fell in love with reading poetry and writing poetry because uh, it was a way to express myself in just little quick bursts, you know? So that's kind of how my songs and song lyrics started coming about because, you know, it's like, okay, this doesn't have to be about one thing. It can be about, like, 15 things. And so, you know, most of my songs... It's like I could probably take, like, an album's worth of my material and, like, take parts of lyrics from all the different songs and, and like, turn them into new songs that are, like, a story. <laughs> but instead, I've, like, taken all these experiences and, like, shaken them up in a bag and, like, poured them out and separated them throughout different parts of the album. So it's, like, I could be telling all these different stories throughout the course of an album, like, simultaneously.
1: I talk to a lot of songwriters, and, and they'll sort of tell me that, that their albums do end up being thematic, but it's these sort of themes that they're only really able to grasp once there's a certain distance from them. That, that's easier from the standpoint of, like, I was thinking of, like, you know, I, I was talking to, like, Craig Finn about it, and I think, you know, he kind of felt that way about it. But obviously, The whole Steady writes... Story songs, right? I mean, they, they might be like the most story song band of all time. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that to be the case, even though you're sort of dealing with um, dissonant threads that, that when, when you are able to sort of take a step back that you start to see these themes emerge?
0: Oh, it definitely helps. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I'll, uh, I'll write lyrics and the first draft will be just kind of, you know, more pulling from stream of consciousness. I'll walk away from it and I'll come back and I'll say, oh, you know, subconsciously, this is actually what I'm writing about, you know, and I'll realize, you know, what, you know, it's like something that's been in the back of my mind, but in the front and the back of my mind at the same time, you know, but, you know, sometimes I won't realize what a song is actually about until I've walked away from it, like you were saying, and then you come back and you're like, oh, okay, I get where this is, what this is about, you know, and then you can kind of, you know, uh, edit the lyrics and, you know, kind of carve out, you know, different pieces and and put it back together. And then it, then it starts to make more sense.
1: Yeah. I was, I was reading a, an interview with you. I totally lied. I was reading the Wikipedia page. So I see how <laughs> accurate this is. But it, it was a quote from an interview. You said that you had, I don't know what the number is. I don't know if it was like hundreds, but like all of these demos of Things that you had written essentially since you were a teenager and you started doing it. How many of those are fully realized songs, and how much of that is really just, again, scraps?
0: It's kind of hard to say. Um, yeah, I think th- there's definitely thousands of songs on my hard drive that have never been released and probably won't be. But sometimes I refer to it, you know, as like the scrapyard. So if I'm working on something and a song feels like it's missing a piece. I can revisit all these old ideas and maybe there's something in there that I can use. I, I don't know. It's funny because a lot of times once I've written something, even if I haven't released it, if it's been too long, I'm already sick of it, even if it's something I like. And I'm like, well, I know this song and I'm used to it now and, and I don't need to put it out anymore because it's already like served its purpose for me personally, which maybe is like a little selfish to like, Keep a lot of stuff for myself, but I also think it's healthy to keep a lot of stuff for yourself. You know, I mean, we write—you know—we write a lot of songs, whether it's by myself or with my bandmates. And there are some songs that, like, whenever we get together, you know, in the practice space, we'll play. You know, song—we have like a full set of songs that we've never released, and we kind of call them like you know Beach Fossils classics, but they're like they're unreleased, and you know we've had them for years and. I don't know if we ever will release them, but it's just something that we have for us.
1: Do they not pass the muster in some way?
0: I don't know. Sometimes songs just like I, I, I just have like a ton of songs, and then when I'm trying to figure out what goes on an album, sometimes even if there's something I really like, it just doesn't fit with the album.
1: That's that idea of stepping back again and sort of seeing like how these different pieces fit together.
0: Yeah, we, which like almost is kind of silly anyway because. I spend so much time thinking about the album as like a, a movie, basically, because that's how I want to listen to it. And that's how I listen to records. But, you know, once you put it out there and it's on Spotify, people are just listening to like individual songs anyway, um, or they just hear it on a playlist or something. So I'm not sure it even really, <laughs> it really resonates with people the way that I intend for it to, like as an album. But uh, I guess doing it for yourself is... You know that's that's still important for the project to make sense to you at least.
1: What does it mean though to think of a, a set of songs as a movie when again there's no like cohesive narrative structure to them?
0: I think just as far as like the the mood, the atmosphere of the songs. Um, I I usually break up in my mind an album into four parts. So you know, the the initial breaking down of the songs is like I have side A and side B. And then it's like, okay, well, how does the first half of side A and the second half of side A work? And then how can I get that to flow into the B side first half and second half? Um, You know, and and, uh, I think if I didn't break down my albums like that, it might, I might take even longer working on stuff because I would just like never know what fits together.
1: (laughs) You know, a lot of people figure out sequencing at the end, but it sounds like that is integral to the entire process for you.
0: Yeah, I usually figure out the sequence of a record before we start mixing it just so I can get an idea of how how this needs to work, you know, and I can figure out certain transitions or I can figure out like, you know, if I'm telling something in this song here, it could come back up later in like a different way, maybe or like reference something earlier in the record. And it's almost like an Easter egg. I mean, I don't I'm sure nobody even realizes that kind of stuff except for me, but
1: <laughs> you know, I as somebody who As you said, has thousands of songs and has, it sounds like the band has really like not released or even recorded these as, as albums, but has basically like gone through a lot of the legwork of putting albums together that may never be released. What is it that, you know, it's been like three or four years between records and I think even longer for this next one.
0: Right. Yeah. Definitely like the, the, the time in between, uh, you know, that really weighs, heavily on me. Um and I, I sort of put a certain amount of pressure on myself. Every single time I put out a record, I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna take that long again.
1: <laughs> it seems like it's been getting a little longer yeah,
0: every time. It does take longer every time. <laughs> I don't know why. I think I just like get too in my head about it, but it's funny because like I am constantly writing and I do have a lot of material to pull from like I think You know, maybe it also has to do with the fact that I'm on my own record label. So I make all the rules myself. I don't have anyone pressuring me to put anything out at a certain time.
1: It's like being a professional musician. It sounds great. But like at the end of the day, like maybe you do need, if not an adult in the room, at least like somebody who's really making you get that thing out the door.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Nobody's going to remember the things that you didn't put out there. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know.
1: Are you a perfectionist generally?
0: I don't know. That's the thing is I actually don't know because I've thought about that before and I feel like maybe in some ways, I, feel, I think being a perfectionist is like such a, uh, it's definitely like a disease for an artist, you know, but it's, it also can be a good thing because it, um, I think my favorite example is uh, Portishead, you know, they only have like three records out, but they're perfect all the way through. I, you know, I, I do have a lot of material that I could be putting out there, but I don't know, I don't want to weigh down the catalog with fillers, you know. And I've also kind of thought about it as, you know, maybe if I get to a certain point where I actually have this, like, true writer's block, where I feel like my well has completely run dry, then I can dip back into all this stuff that I wrote when I was younger, because it's, uh, it's always going to be there if I need
1: it. It's like hibernating for Windsor. <laughs> you know, yeah dashing all your stuff, how much of that is a product of that period between the first and second record and realizing that, like, hey, this could actually become a problem at some point? I
0: don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean...
1: It's that thing, though, of, like, the first the first time you're sort of facing something down, you know, it sounds like it had never been a problem up to then. You're like, oh, this is... This is that thing. And if it's happened right. once, it could definitely happen again.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think... Uh, I tend to have writer's block more, the more free time I have, the more writer's block I have, because, um, I can be really lazy and I love doing absolutely nothing and just wasting my time. And, um, you know, I I mean, you know, it's like the old saying, like, uh, work to live, not live to work, you know, but I don't actually get to enjoy the the time that I have that I'm wasting because I feel so guilty that I should be working on stuff.
1: (laughs) It's not a good thing, but, you know, I, I get this like weird pang of guilt when I'm on vacation.
0: Yeah, totally. And it sucks. You know, I think like capitalism has kind of drilled that into us. You know, it's just like if you're not making something that is
1: like your value is tied to product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know. And it's that's the other thing is like I never want to view my art as a product, but I mean I guess to a lot of people it is, you know, I mean, I have like a whole team of people that I work with, and uh, they wouldn't be working with me if there wasn't any money involved. <laughs>
1: there's a freedom to just record stuff and put it out into the world. Um, you don't want to do that necessarily with with beach fossils. Um, because again, you know, there's a certain I'm trying to think of like a way to say this, it doesn't sound like a you know, I'm, I'm talking about like, a car or something, but there, there, there's a certain like level of quality that people are expecting. Right. It is malleable the idea of a project versus a band and it is sort of so has been so tied to you from the beginning that like right. you don't feel like you could just be like hey here's a solo thing that I'm putting out into the world.
0: Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that's all kind of tied into some level of perfectionism there, you know. It's and there's also like the it's like the longer I wait to put something out the the bigger the pressure is for me to want to do something great, you know, which, which is, it just kind of sucks because it's like, Hey, maybe I've got a song that I really like, maybe it's not great, but like, can I put out a song that's okay when people have been waiting five years for a new song?
1: There are a lot of irrational pressures that we put on ourselves, but I don't think that that is an irrational one because I think that if people are fans of the bands and, you know, and they've waited a longer period of time to get something out, like, they are expecting that it's going to be that much better.
0: Right. It's like, oh, I've waited this long for like a mediocre song to drop. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like imagine imagine that that album that my, my Bloody Valentine put out a couple of years ago which yeah. just got kind of I mean it like what a crushing disappointment.
0: And I think he definitely is somebody who deals with that sort of same level of perfection, you know, where it's like he knows that he knows that everyone's waiting for a record, and not only there are they waiting for a record, but they're waiting for
1: a masterpiece. It gets worse every single year. I mean, I just had um Kevin Whelan of of the the Wrens on the show, and like I don't know how familiar you are with them or like what they they have sort of gone through, but their album you know their their album The Meadowlands was like regarded as this like huge masterpiece, this indie rock masterpiece and and that was eighteen years ago, yeah, and it's sort of like it took a little while. At first, for like very sort of like practical reasons of you know them having families and jobs and these other things, and then it was just every single year that ticked onto the counter, it became that much more impossible to live up to their own hype.
0: Right. Well, it it also kind of sucks because like when you're working on something personally, you're not necessarily like I'm making something that's like a masterpiece, you know. And it's if it happens to be that, and if people. Tack that onto it, then it's kind of like that's everyone else's definition of it and maybe that only existed in that period of time, but people expect that genius to be like a never-ending well. You know, I think which for some people it can be, but I mean, if you look at anybody who's got a really, really dense catalog, I mean, look at somebody like Bob Dylan or whatever, it's like, yeah, he's got some incredible records, but how many of those records are not. But like no one's ever going to be that's kind of like the the beauty of the fact that Bob Dylan has put out so many records cuz like at this point no one's going to fault him for like having a record that's not a masterpiece cuz he's already put out so many great things that it's like you got to give him a break.
1: <laughs> the thing about putting yourself out there and putting something into the world is Every subsequent thing you do is going to be measured against that, whether it's like quality or success. If you have a certain level of success and you're on, you don't sell as many records the next few times, the, the standard that you're always held up to is that high point.
0: I think that's why, um, you know, somebody like Kanye West is like, OK, I'm going to surround myself with like every possible music genius alive right now. And, like, you know, who knows how much of that is actually him at the end of the day. It's like he's got this endless supply of, like, incredibly talented people.
1: <laughs> Kanye puts the pressure on himself by the nature of the fact that he is convinced that he is one of history's great geniuses.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then it's like, oh, I can just put out whatever, because no matter what it is, it's going to be genius and a masterpiece. Which like maybe that's maybe thinking about it that way is kind of great because like if you're like I'm going to make something great maybe you will.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah, that, that that last record he put out I I didn't I didn't think it was fantastic and it felt kind of unfinished to me, but like right, at the yeah. very least he was going to sell a shit ton of them. Yeah,
0: and it like made it's like culturally significant and it was going to be. Before anybody ever heard any of it anyway,
1: when you're at a certain level, a certain percentage of the because music is so subjective and art is so subjective, regardless of what it is, a certain percentage of your listenership is going to be convinced that it's genius,
0: right. yeah, <laughs> which is
1: like why it would be kind of great if you were at that level to just put out something horrible? <laughs> yeah you your throbbing gristle shirt on, like I think about that that Lou Reed record. he put out metal machine music, yeah where like. Everybody hated it, except, except for a handful of people. And then it's, you know, it, it's reassessed as being this brilliant work of art. Is it being reassessed as a brilliant work of art because people saw something in it or because they know Lou Reed is a genius, so probably he was onto to something?
0: Yeah, probably both. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, it's funny how, um, yeah, music or any kind of art, uh, if it's been enough time, can be seen as genius almost like you know if if somebody's long gone it's like there has to be some level of respect or, or maybe a new way to look at it like okay this person has like passed to the other side now let's 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 take another look at what they did you know uh maybe someone will uh you know maybe lulu is going to be seen as one of the greatest records of all
1: time <laughs> that's really funny i was I, 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 like rewatching that metallica documentary for the 15th oh, time last yeah, night same i was thinking about that record because I, I think that was the last thing Lou Reed ever did yeah wow what a way to like you know end your legacy he did that raven record too which was a total like i think Lulu probably is yeah. is a step above that one. So
0: I think he's like he's also kind of someone who
1: didn't really care. I think that's <laughs> which both made him one of the coolest people to ever make music, but also right. like maybe meant that the quality control wasn't necessarily where it should have been.
0: Right. Yeah. But maybe I guess maybe that attitude gave us like some of his greatest songs.
1: I think that's probably true.
0: Like I don't think the Velvet Underground could have existed if like he was someone who really cared that much, you know, because it's like the whole vibe of the music just feels like
1: I don't care, which is why it's so cool. It's a little bit of detachment but also having at least one other great musical genius in the band to sort of <laughs> to keep, you know having yeah, like having absolutely. John Cale in your band helps keep you in check, I think. Yeah, I mean that's a 100% true, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you got yourself into a pretty good spot from that standpoint as far as again starting off as a project and being this thing where you're essentially recording a demo tape. And, and But then once it gets time to actually start enlisting people, like you want people who can actually be that for you to some degree, people who like legitimately add onto it and not just play what you tell them or not this i think is kanye's ultimate downfall is like he seems like somebody who surrounds himself with yes men.
0: that's true yeah i mean absolutely i i think i'm definitely lucky enough that you know the closest friends that i have are people that will be really honest with me about what i'm working on i'd say nine times out of ten i show my wife you know who i run the record label with something and she'll just kind of be like Whatever. And um, I mean, maybe that's also just because I'm writing so many things that it's like, it's obviously a lot of it is going to be like that. But I love that, you know, I have people that will kind of tell me that, you know, and my bandmates as well. We're, we're really honest with each other about if something's not working. And, and I think that's, that's like one of the most valuable things I
1: have Do you have the right, though, to veto that if you are convinced that this is a really great thing?
0: Yeah, and I've done that, you know, I mean, there's definitely been times where most of the people, they're not necessarily saying something sucks, but they're not wowed by it, you know, but I'm like... I really like. Like,
1: what are you not hearing in this that I am hearing in this?
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because some of those songs have gone on to be the ones that people like the most. So I'm like, I guess I should trust my own judgment with that. You know, I can at the end of the day.
1: I think the the jazz record is a sort of a really good opportunity to reassess the songs from the standpoint of you know they tell you that you know something is a truly great song when you can play it on any instrument or, you know, in in any genre. I assume that the process of having to do this is really stripping something down to its essentials and then rebuilding it back up.
0: Yeah. In some ways, it was harder than I expected, and in some ways, it was a lot easier than I expected. We went through a lot of songs trying to figure out which ones would work, and I think I figured out, you know... A lot of the songs uh, on my first record don't have choruses where there's lyrics uh, a lot of the times the the guitar kind of was the hook and so I realized that these the songs that were on the jazz album needed to be songs that had actual choruses you know these songs had to turn because that the point where the piano and the bass and the drums and all that stuff are, are turning, that's going to be the part of the song that sounds the most beautiful. And uh, so I had to really figure out which ones would work the best with those kind of changes.
1: You wrote like a, a longish, like five or six paragraphs about the process of doing it. And one of the things that jumped out at me was you talking about singing on it, you know, that, that obviously like, you know, you're not coming at it from the standpoint of being a professional jazz singer but even beyond that i think that was probably the right choice because you know if you were talking about running the risk of things being corny like oh my god
0: yeah imagine if i just went full crooner on this record that was exactly what i was thinking
1: like there was this weird thing i don't know like maybe the 90s or like or aughts where like there were these groups that would like do like nine inch nail songs as lounge songs
0: right yeah i've heard that yeah (laughs) yeah i definitely wasn't gonna let it go that way you know I think from the beginning from the, from the moment that I started thinking about this, this album you know the vocals I had to sing it the same way um, and that it was going to be the arrangements that were different
1: I mean, I mean this in the best way possible it's such a pandemic project of just like what should I be doing with my time like this is the kind of thing that like I don't want to say it's necessarily the sort of thing you would come up with when you're high but maybe to some degree Where it's like, you know, you and your friends or you and your bandmates sitting around and being like, oh, you know, it'd be cool. Like, what if we just did a jazz version of our songs? But that would, like, never in a million years come out. But because all of a sudden there was this massive global event where we're just sitting around, like, you can actually do this. Well,
0: I had the idea for the album for for years, actually. Um, But the original idea was that it was going to be instrumental. And then, you know, when we started working on it, I was... You know, and he, and he started working on the piano versions of it. Uh, Tommy Gardner, who's who's the main musician on the record, he played drums on Clash the Truth. And when when we started working on it, I was like, well, I I have to sing on these now because they sound really naked without without the vocals. We just started layering more instruments on it. It was just going to be solo piano, and then I sang on it, and then I was like, well, now it has to have upright bass, and obviously it has to have saxophone, and. If you're doing all that, it's got to have drums on it. So, you know, I feel really lucky that it was able to come together the way that it did because it could have easily just not not worked or like fallen apart halfway through.
1: It's something you really have to commit to, and it's probably a difficult thing to commit to as somebody who is, like, obviously Tommy is, but as somebody who himself is not like this, like trained jazz musician who is obviously like appreciates the music but the word like authenticity comes up when people talk about jazz music and Mm -hmm. i assume because of that it can be really hard to commit to something like this feeling like just a complete outsider from the genre
0: yeah i mean not i didn't feel that way just because the the people that i was working with you know are like real deal jazz musicians so i knew that they weren't gonna let it slip and uh you know, I trust them and, and I, I listen to a lot of jazz and I'm really picky about what I like and what I don't like. So um you know I, I definitely refined uh you know working with Tommy on this record. Some some stuff definitely sometimes I thought would go into a little bit of uh cheese territory and I was like, all right, we need to kind of pull back. You know, I mean he's an incredible musician. He he is unreal on the saxophone and Even stuff, not even necessarily cheese, but like, I mean, he's just a true shredder. And there were some songs where I was like, I love what you're playing and how you're playing, but it's just too much for the song. (laughs) We got to dial it down because there can't be this like wild fucking hardcore, you know, Coltrane
1: solo in this ballad. (laughs) It is sort of more in the sort of cool jazz school of like something that it's not background music, but it's definitely something you can have on in the background.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, which I kind of like about it, you know, because, um, I don't know, sometimes uh, sometimes you're just bombarded with too much. You know, I, I think uh, with everything I make, I, I want everything to be kind of understated in some way where it can be something that you're sitting down and you're listening to it and you're not doing anything else and, and you just put the record on and you're focused on it. But I also like it to be something that can be on in the background that's not like, It doesn't necessarily scream for your attention, but when you do give it attention,
1: um, it's there for you. It rewards a closer listen, but it's not necessary. You know, when it's been like three or four years since the last record and and you're like, okay, now we're putting out a jazz album of like, you know, some of (laughs) our greatest hits, like what, you know, when you talk about sort of like expectation of the fan base, like what, how do they react to news like that initially? Uh, I think people were upset.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> I think, genuinely you know, upset.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't really expecting people to like this album or to understand it. I was just kind of making it because it's something that like I wanted to do. And I, mainly just because I wanted to listen to it. You know, I, I just like really liked the idea of this album existing, you know, and I think a lot of people were just like, okay. Where the fuck is the new record, though? And for me, like, I don't see this, like, as something... I didn't, you know, it didn't take a lot of time to make this record. And the time that I did put into it was time that, like, I probably would have been doing nothing.
1: But for, I mean, like, you're a music fan, and you know that for music fans, any time you spend not working on the new record is time you're wasting. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, but I kind of... Kind of the way I am with everything I put out is, like, I like this... I think it's I think it's something that you know, I'm proud of it. I would listen to it. I enjoy listening to it. And if people don't like it or don't get
1: it, then like who cares? In a in a non-pandemic year it would have been funny to do like a like a reverse Bob Dylan and just be like, hey, we're going out on tour and right. everything is just a jazz version. Oh yeah, I think
0: that really would have pissed a lot of people off. They probably would have asked for their money back.
1: <laughs> it, so it's been a few months now. Has has the the reception changed at all has it evolved
0: yeah i think most people um that you know interact on social media for the most part are
1: gonna have a strong opinion one way or another i'm a professional writer who writes for like websites with like strong social media presence and like it's that it's that thing of like no everyone just reading the headline
0: totally yeah absolutely well you know uh like, everyone on my team, when I told them I was going to make this record, seemed really confused about it. <laughs> I think the only person that it made sense to was my wife, because she knows that, you know, Tommy Gardner, who I worked with, is is a a, a great jazz musician, um, and that this, this record makes sense, because I pretty much exclusively listen to jazz at home. You know, but um, I started telling, like people about it you know the uh, the mixing engineer and the mastering person and uh, my my booking agent and and people and everyone was just kind of like wait what like a jazz album like why and i think everyone thought it was maybe going to be kind of a joke and i think to a lot of i have a very young fan base and um a lot of them probably listen to uh no jazz at all so i think they really had no idea what to expect.
1: In the process of stripping things down and and rebuilding them and, and figuring out what would fit and what would make sense on a jazz record, I mean, do you feel like you learned anything really sort of fundamental and foundational about your writing process that you're carrying on into the new record?
0: I think if anything, it just made me want to focus on the lyrics more because lyrics for me have always been kind of an afterthought you know i always usually when i've when i've got a record i've pretty much finished the instrumentals for the whole thing it
1: sounds like the opposite of what you've been saying i mean it really sounds like it's god this is a lyrics and music question but like it sounds like your process is really getting those lyrics down and then fitting them to music no
0: well so what it is is like i work on the music very regularly um and then separately, I'm usually writing some type of prose or keeping a journal. But when I'm doing the prose or the journal entries, I don't usually think about it going to music. You know, it's like that's just something that I do separately. And then when it comes time for me to put lyrics, then I've got an album's worth of instrumental songs, and I sit down and I, and I see, all right, what that I've written about in this journal matches the mood of this song here. And I'm trying to fit these different pieces together, but lyrics are always, always at the end. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, to a fault, you know, I wish I was someone that could just sit down and come up with lyrics and, uh, and the music at the same time. I think I'd probably
1: be putting out a record every year if I could do that. Part of it is just that, you know, if you were doing like, as you were saying, like, scronky, like, Ornette Coleman jazz or something, it'd be different, but the way the insertation is on this record, there's nothing for the lyrics to hide behind.
0: Yeah, but, I, yeah, and I've always liked that about minimal music in general, you know, I think that the the purpose of Beach Fossils has always been, like, to remain extremely minimal, and when you do that, yeah, the lyrics are really naked, and you have to you have to kind of make it concise you know which yeah that's that's kind of difficult because i can definitely like just fucking ramble
1: so where are you at with the next record
0: it's hard to say i mean i've got like about 140 songs right now jesus
1: christ (laughs) and i don't know by the nature of your process like you're gonna end up throwing out good songs right i mean it's inevitable
0: i think so but then it also like i don't necessarily feel like i'm throwing it away it's almost like a savings account you know it's like that can be there for later if i need it
1: after you die the vaults are opened up and there's like still 20 albums on the way oh my god
0: yeah maybe <laughs> i'll leave that for my daughter you know that'll be her uh, inheritance <laughs> the unfinished songs